Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 208 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. This week's show is another different and interesting story, this time from a prison in central England and a real mix of characters in every sense of the word. A big thank you to Steve Percival for his help researching and writing this story. Before we start, a big thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, especially the new members of this club, so exclusive it makes the MCC look like Costco. That is Richard Normansell, Sarah Bryant, Shona Ritchie, Lynn Lockwood, Suzanne White, Catherine Yaff, who's increased her support. By the way, don't forget to buy Catherine Yaff's new thriller, The Lie She Told, on Amazon now. Thank you all so much for your support, which is much appreciated. And a special happy birthday to big fan of the show, Heather Ball. Happy birthday, Heather. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Have you played this game yet? I might only be on level 91, but I already love Best Fiends, as it's a casual game that you can just play when you have a few minutes free. I play it when I'm waiting to pick my children up from various activities. It's great, as you don't need internet connection. I played earlier today on my phone while I was waiting for one of my dogs to see the vet. I really enjoy the challenging puzzles and the gameplay is awesome, with amazing characters who you collect during the game and who can be used strategically later on. Like me, I guarantee you'll love the vibrancy of the colour quality of the game design, which is always a huge deal for me. So why not come and join me on Best Fiends? Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 2020 has been a tough year for all of us, and many of us, I think, are struggling in certain parts of our lives. For me, it's been finding the right balance of spending time at work and with family, and I'm worrying that I fail in both. Whatever is interfering with your happiness, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. To be clear, this isn't self-help. It is professional counselling in a safe and private online environment. There's no more sitting around in those unwelcoming waiting rooms and you don't want to wait around once you've made the decision to go ahead so you can start tomorrow and schedule weekly phone and video sessions and contact your counsellor anytime. What's more, it's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and it's available worldwide. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. As a listener to this podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com UK. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash UK. So let's set some context for today's story. In the UK music charts to power with China in your hand, we're keeping Rick Astley with the utterly dreadful cover version of 
When I Fall in Love, listen to it if you don't know it, from the number one spot. In fact, don't listen to it. In the US, the much-missed George Michael was at the summit with Faith. And in the Australian charts, what a year it was for hard rock, with the best-selling song being Slipknot. Sorry, it wasn't Slipknot. It was Kylie with The Locomotion, just ahead of La Bamba by Los Lobos. This month saw digging begin between France and England at the start of the Channel Tunnel. Wall Street, directed by Oliver Stone and starring Michael Douglas and Charlie Sheen, was released. The England cricket team's tour of Pakistan was nearly brought to a premature end when Captain Mike Gatting and umpire Shakul Rana rowed during a test match. And 31 British and Belgian people were recognised in the New Year's honours this month for heroism shown in the rescue operation at the Zeebrugge disaster earlier in the year. Did you get the month and year? It was December 1987. This week's episode takes place in Gartree, a small village just outside Market Harbour in the south of Leicestershire, which is around 95 miles northwest of London. Hmm, less said about Leicester at the moment, the better for me after last night. The village surrounds Gartree Prison, which was developed on part of a site that was RAF Market Harbour. It opened in 1965 and was originally a Category C training centre, but its status was quickly upgraded to that of a maximum security prison. 2013 X Factor winner Sam Bailey is a former prison officer there. Which of Sam's is your favourite track? Let's go way back to when Cliff Richard was only just picking up his pension in 1973. The British Rail Engineering Company in Glasgow was responsible for all railway engineering for British Rail, which ran the British Railway, until the industry was privatised in 1989. December the 21st was payday, and the administration block had, as usual, prepared everybody's wages in cash. They were about to distribute the payroll to several points for their employees, when six armed men approached and gunfire ensued. If you are too young to recall, it used to be quite normal for all staff wages to be paid in cash inside a brown envelope, and so if criminals knew when a company's payday was, they knew this was a good time to strike, as there'd be a lot more cash around than usual, and these robberies were known as, unsurprisingly, payroll robberies. The two security guards present were injured after being hit with a sawn-off shotgun, and the gang of six began to leave with the money. 43-year-old night watchman James Kennedy was at the complex. He heard the shots and he courageously went towards where he heard them from. He saw the gang were heading for the exit and he stood in the main entrance to block their escape. The first member of the gang came at him and James wrestled him to the ground, but although he was incredibly brave, in reality... He was never going to stand a chance against six armed robbers. And after a short while, he was knocked on the head with the barrel of a shotgun, rendering him unconscious. As the gang made their way outside to their getaway vehicle, James regained his consciousness, he got up and he moved to block their escape. It was here that James met his unfortunate and heroic death. He was killed by two shots fired from one of the gang sitting in the passenger seat. It was later discovered that as well as the fatal gunshot wounds, James had received two deeply lacerated wounds to his skull during the previous attack. But this bravery has never been forgotten, and in November 1981, at Glasgow Central Station, 
a British Rail Electric locomotive, was named James Kennedy GC. And just three years ago in 2017, on the anniversary of his murder, James Kennedy's three daughters and the Lord Provost of Glasgow unveiled a plaque in his honour at the spot where James was killed. He left behind his wife and his daughters Shona, who was aged eight, Layla was four, and the middle daughter, Elspeth, was six when her father was killed. She spoke at the unveiling, saying, We were at my maternal granddad's house. The police had taken a while to find us because we weren't at home and there weren't mobile phones or anything like that. It was about lunchtime. I remember it was two police detectives who came. They went in uniform. One of them took us into the front room. The other took mum and granddad into the kitchen. I just remember my mum. She was howling. She was screaming. It was on the news. I remember the detective turning the television off. I often wonder what would have happened if they hadn't found us and told us before we saw it on the news. Elspeth added, I'm extremely proud of my dad. He died a hero. I'm delighted to have this opportunity to celebrate that bravery. I'm proud he did the right thing. His life counts and his courage is inspiring. I think we can all agree with that. The armed robbers after shooting James made their escape with the full payroll amount of £9,854.39. But it wasn't long before they were rounded up and charged. 39-year-old Sidney Draper was one of these six people in the gang and he was convicted of murder and given a life sentence with a minimum of 25 years to be served behind bars. The prison he was taken to was Gartry. In the prison's short life, it's housed a number of the UK's most notorious criminals, including Ian Brady, Reggie Cray, Fred West, and Britain's potentially most notorious prisoner, Charles Bronson. If we forward wind to the 10th of December 1987, and Sidney Draper is still an inmate at Gartry Prison. One of the fellow inmates was called John Kendall. John was well known in the East End, as he was what we call in podcasts, a gangland boss. Of course, in this role, part of the deal is that you're always in and out of trouble with the police. It's one of the downsides of the job, I guess. But his latest stretch inside was eight years for burglary. By all accounts, Draper and Kendall were not model inmates, but at the same time, they were not ones to cause too much trouble. And even though they knew each other, you wouldn't have said that they were particularly close. They went about their daily routine as instructed, and their daily routine was highly regimented. Every day at exactly the same time they knew where they had to be and when, and this ranged from when they woke up, when they could eat, and when they were allowed outside for sports and recreation. The idea was to instill discipline into the prisoners. But John Kendall didn't want the discipline, and he didn't plan to enjoy the facilities at Gartry Prison for much longer, and he used this highly regimented regime to plot his escape. After all, if he knew exactly where he would be every moment of every day, both inside and outside, it made it a lot easier to coordinate a plan with people on the outside who would be needed to help him make his plans happen. And the person on the outside who set about helping him was Andrew Russell, who was paid a quarter of a million pounds to break Kendall out of the jail. In 1987, that was a significant sum of money 
Well, still is today, I guess, isn't it? Andrew Russell posed as a businessman and booked a private helicopter, paying a man named Ian Evans to take him from Stansted Airport in Essex to Leicester Airport, with Leicester's airport being less than 10 miles away from Gartry Prison, and the route was flying almost directly overhead. Shortly before landing at Leicester Airport, much to the surprise of Ian Evans, Andrew Russell pulled a gun on him and forced him to make a landing in Gartry Prison's sports ground. Russell knew what time to book the flight to be over Gartry Prison at exactly 3.16, and he knew that at this time Kendall would be in the sports ground outside and waiting. Everything was planned to the smallest detail and was done with maximum efficiency with the helicopter only on the ground for 23 seconds. And that was enough time for Kendall to get on board before making his escape. Because they could be so precise about the timings, Kendall had arranged for other prisoners to distract the prison guards via a number of means such as starting fights with the few guards outside that day so that no official could intervene and stop his escape. The only thing that hadn't been calculated was having an extra passenger on board the helicopter as it headed away from the prison. In the short time that the helicopter was on the ground, Sidney Draper saw his chance amid the chaos to unexpectedly climb on board. It isn't clear if Draper knew about the breakout beforehand, and this was a planned move on his part, or he quickly realised what was going on and just took his chance. I think from what I've read it's likely to be the latter as Draper was known as a chancer and a risk-taker in life, and this was true to form. From there, they were only in the air for a couple of minutes, and they landed about three miles away from the prison, at Welland Valley Business Centre. Andrew Russell had hired a helicopter the week before, on December 2nd, posing as a man called Andrew Downs, and this was the dummy run for the real thing. In the dummy run, they decided to land at Market Harbour Golf Course where a vehicle awaited. But on the actual day, visibility was too bad and they couldn't find a safe place to land. Instead, they landed at the nearby business park and they went to the main road where they hijacked a van and drove for a few miles before switching vehicles, hijacking a car and then making off. Ironically, the police did use their own helicopter to find them but with everything happening in such a short space of time, they weren't successful. The police also had radar systems in place that could easily have detected the helicopter, but as there was less than five minutes between the breakout and the helicopter being ditched, this wasn't deployed fast enough and its only use was to locate the abandoned helicopter. The escapees eventually switched car again before the vehicle was found 90 miles away in Sheffield train station. Neither of the car drivers were badly hurt and the pilot too was unharmed but was handcuffed and left inside the helicopter. You may well be familiar with other attempted helicopter breakouts in other countries such as Brazil, Mexico and the US. But nothing like this had been done in the UK before and now, 33 years on, nobody has tried it since. In June 2010, Brian Lawrence hitched a plan by helicopter to escape from prison in the Isle of Wight during the music festival. His logic was that the helicopter flying during the music festival would be the least suspicious time, but this didn't come to fruition and was foiled in the early stages when his encrypted messages to somebody on the outside, which were written in a Sudoku 
puzzle in invisible ink were discovered and quickly and very easily decrypted. But back to this story, and security footage from the prison quickly made its way onto national news, and obviously after an event like this, there was huge public interest across the country. I guess nowadays with social media, the escape may not have worked so well as passers-by would have captured what was happening. Finding these three dangerous individuals was the top priority for police across the country, and investigations were immediately underway to determine how something like this was able to happen and how to stop it from happening again. In fact, it's thanks to this escape that a number of measures you see in prisons today are actually in place. First of all, the sports and recreational areas outside prisons are now covered in a mesh. Not to stop the balls going over the wall, but this is to stop any helicopters from landing and it would stop the propellers from working. The idea of putting all major criminals under one roof was also questioned, as pulling the most violent people and the most daring with gang members with a lot of power and money was always going to lead to trouble. After this, an inmate dispersal scheme was introduced to limit the amount of highly dangerous inmates in one place. And even within one prison, if there was any sign of even the slightest suspicion that an escape may be planned, there were now procedures to move inmates to separate parts of the jail and stop communications between both inmates and the outside world. The time that prisoners are allowed outside also varies every day and it's as random as possible to stop any planned collusion with anybody on the outside. So what happened to those involved in the plot? Since this incident, Andrew Russell, the man who hired the helicopter, has led a somewhat colourful life. He was eventually tracked down and sentenced to 10 years for his part in the escape plot, and he served this alongside another 10-year stretch for armed robbery. Andrew Russell never denied his part in the prison escape, but he always maintained his innocence to the robbery charges. Russell claimed he had an alibi, and the CPS had informed him they would not press charges. But after the prison escape conviction, the CPS reversed that decision and he was charged and convicted. Russell still believes that he was only charged for the robbery because the CPS were not happy with his lenient sentence for the prison breakout. At trial for the robbery in 1992, Russell's alibi witness was in Australia and his barrister, who had worked on the case for two years, wasn't available. When the authorities wouldn't postpone the case, Russell refused to enter the court and was in the end brought in manacled and naked except for a blanket. His solicitor said he is manifestly not guilty of the robbery, just as he was manifestly guilty of the helicopter offence. In 1994, Russell even managed his own prison break, working alongside five members of the IRA. And the last time he was in the news was in 2017 when he was linked with a money laundering case worth £56 million. Russell, it transpired, had assisted two others in a diamond smuggling enterprise that managed to build up this staggering amount of cash in just two years. Police had been following him throughout the day he was captured, and when police stopped him in his car, he had a holdall of money containing £198,000. Whilst Andrew Russell was not the main player in this diamond smuggling scheme, his help and assistance landed him with another four-year sentence. 
And as for the other two, Sidney Draper was also recaptured in the end. He'd managed to keep a low profile and he stayed on the run for 15 months. When he was caught in June 1989, he pleaded guilty to hijacking, escaping and possessing a firearm and was sentenced to four years to be added to his existing murder sentence. However, after the latest conviction, he appealed his original conviction for murder and armed robbery in Glasgow and had his sentence reduced from life with a minimum of 25 years to life with a minimum of 20 years. Nobody knows where he is now. Has he managed to escape prison again? It's true. But it's believed he now lives somewhere in Spain near Malaga. In the last couple of years, his daughter has publicly appealed for any information to reunite them, as she is seriously ill and wanted to see her dad, or at least speak to him for it's too late. But as far as I understand, that appeal has not been successful. And what about John Kendall, the man who paid a quarter of a million pounds and was the mastermind behind the escape? Well, he was recaptured by police just 10 days after the breakout. So the price he paid for freedom was a handsome 25 grand per day. John Kendall did not keep such a low profile once he escaped. And he spent a lot of time in a pub back in his gangland territory in London and was captured in a flat nearby with his accomplice in the escape. Andrew Russell. Shortly after his prison escape, he shot and wounded somebody in North London as part of an armed robbery. Once he was recaptured, he was questioned about the robbery and admitted all charges, so he would then serve consecutive sentences for the initial robbery, the new armed robbery, and the successful escape from Gartrew Prison. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, his accomplice in his latest crime was, yep, you guessed it, Andrew Russell who was convicted of the same robbery earlier, but still insisted he was innocent. John Kendall was eventually released from prison in April 2001, having served 18 years in total behind bars for the two armed robberies and the escape. As soon as he was released, it seemed he went back to his old ways and was investigated for dealing in amphetamines and for planning another armed robbery. But nowadays, it appears he has settled down with his wife and seems to be keeping a low profile. And what of Gartry Prison itself? A few years after the escape in 1992, the prison was downgraded from a Category A prison to a Category B, and it remains that to this day. Most of the prisoners nowadays are serving life sentences, but are not deemed to be the highest risk prisoners. Like with a lot of prisons at the moment, Gartry has been criticised a lot in the media for declining standards. But when we keep unnecessarily sending so many people to prisons, is it any wonder that with a lack of funding and a shortage of staff, standards are declining? I've no idea why we keep sending so many people to prison. Do you? So what do you make of today's story? I really try to make sure on this podcast that criminals are not glamorised and show them for what they really are. But this story is probably the closest to something from a film that I've come across. And it's hard, I think, not to feel a grudging admiration. I guess growing up, the great escape every Christmas has something to do with it. And there is something about outwitting the authorities, isn't there? I bet you've had similar thoughts during lockdown, right? The sheer audacity to try something like this and succeed raises eyebrows. But I suppose it is correct that they were eventually caught and convicted. 
Wherever possible, I like to focus on the victims and who they were. And so my final words today go to James Kennedy, who was shot dead by Sidney Draper in the payroll robbery in Glasgow. Our thoughts must go out to his friends and his family, and I hope they are so proud of his bravery, when in fact they are, they tell us that they are. I hope also that in time they're not dwelling on how he died, but instead are dwelling on just how well he lived. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast and a huge shout out to Steve Percival for bringing this story to us. To discuss this story, where you can hire the helicopter or any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group where there are now almost 50,000 of us. And to support the show and take advantage of two months free membership for a limited time, please head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime and keep me recording a weekly show. I'll see you there. And I'm seriously considering some opening and closing music on this podcast. Thank you, Marcus, you have convinced me. If you think that you have the music that I should use, please make contact on any of my social channels or drop me a note to adam at uktruecrime.com and then I will put the final decision on the music to my supporters at Patreon. So, with a new lockdown, the Christmas party in steamy Rochdale, with the Kings of Leon making us all feel drowsy, is sounding increasingly unlikely. I would say we could do it online, but I think that could uh, open up <laughs> could open up a world of problems, don't you? So on that potentially seedy bombshell, that is all for me for this week. Until next Tuesday, take it easy, and despite all the others, Please do stay classy. Cheerio. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.